Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, this past Sunday, Jason had the honor of preaching in the AM service, and he took a passage from Matthew 11. We call it the uh, Great Invitation of Jesus where he refers to himself where I'm gentle and lowly in heart. A passage actually says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I really liked about that lesson is how Jesus described himself. You know, it's it's, uh, one thing for us to talk about another person, you know, we have a friend, and we want to tell our friend about another, a third party. We may describe our friend this way or that way. But here Jesus is talking about himself, and it's one of the few places that he really pulls the covers back and really shows us what his heart is like. And he says, I am gentle, and I am lowly in heart. And that's a powerful, powerful thought. And I love how you went through that, Jason, just kind of described the attributes of that. And so what we thought we'd do today is just go back to that passage, talk about several of the layers there, and look at some things that the Lord said for us. You know, you and I both have been exploring in a variety of ways as foundational to our theme for the year. I am his and he is mine. And as I think back over the course of the last two and a half months or so, you know, we've talked about God in some awesome ways. I preached, I think, in early February about this idea of drawing near to God in terms of the Exodus. And the idea of coming before God at that point was terrifying. We know those people were anxious to send Moses, but not anxious to have all that much of a personal encounter. Or here recently in Revelation, I did a sermon on Revelation 1. One, you've been teaching a class on Revelation 2 and 3, and we hear these awesome descriptions of the glorified Christ, and and those certainly ought to cause our hearts to be fearfully reverent, awestruck, but it, it it's fascinating to me that right here in the middle of those two awesome pictures of the Lord is the Lord himself Uh, using words like gentle and lowly. There's a lot we can learn from that, I think. Well, there is. And, you know, we also know he could have used other words like I am powerful, which he is. I am almighty, which he is. But But that reference to gentle and lowly is inviting. Uh, had the image of Jesus been, uh, he's tough. You know, you, you don't want to bother him or you don't want to get him on a bad day. People would be afraid to come to him. Uh, one of the things I'm studying from my Wednesday classes is how early in his ministry, the multitudes just came to him in throngs. They came to him from all over the place, several, several villages. Uh, Luke ch- chapter 12 says there were so many thousands of people gathered, they were stepping on each other. And so you wouldn't do that if somebody was was mean and tough and ugly with you. Uh, never do you find Jesus ever saying, leave me alone, or who are you to ask me? 
we don't find Jesus like the American president or most world leaders today, surrounded with his bodyguards. And, and you know, you, you see him in the distance, you might wave to him, but you could never approach him. That's not what we get. Over and over, we find people coming to him, talking to him, interrupting him, challenging him. And that's all based upon this concept that he was gentle and lowly in heart. Particularly in, in the context there of Matthew 11, to those who labor and are heavy laden. We know that in other places for people who were hard-hearted, uh, close-minded, just wanted to trap Jesus in his words, we see a different side of Jesus's personality, right? And and rightfully so, much more perhaps like some of the Old Testament prophets who realized that, well, uh, what these people need is for, in a sense, the hammer to come down, and, and they need to be shaken, woken up spiritually. That's, that's certainly a, a side of Jesus. Maybe we'll say more about that here in a few more moments. But particularly, I think one of the things you wanted to explore in our little conversation here is the people to whom Jesus said these words. Yeah, for for the audience who Jesus just said that to, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. What that would have meant to them. And so as we start this and start peeling off the layers, let's just kind of explore some things. What does it mean to be weary and heavy laden? What what did Jesus have in mind when he said that? And how do people get that way? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that helped me as I was trying to think through that word, I I think both of us, uh, and, and rightfully so, would encourage others, make sure that when we're saying what a word that Jesus used means, let's make sure that we're using it in the way that that he had in mind. It's one thing for us to notice, well, Jesus said this word. Well, what did he mean by that? And so in preparing for that, I just went back. We've been reading here recently in our scheduled Bible readings in the Gospel of Matthew. And for instance, if you go back immediately after his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 8, you read about a leper who comes to him. You talk about a burden. This man was was an outcast. We read just a few verses later about a desperate centurion. He has a, a servant who means a great deal to him who has been paralyzed. We read about many in the middle of Matthew 8 who who are afflicted with various illnesses and diseases. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about tax collectors and known sinners. We read about a woman who has dealt with a very serious health issue for well over a decade. Um, by the time we get just before Jesus' statement in here in Matthew 11, we hear Pharisees and scribes trying to put Jesus down by saying, well, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so if I put all of that together, what did Jesus mean by weary and heavy laden? Some of it was circumstances of life, right? Sicknesses, illnesses, frailties of life. Some of it was reputation, Uh, There are others around me who are looking down on me, treating me as lesser than. I'm on the outside looking in. 
a whole lot of it was the burdens that we put on ourselves because of our sin, right? Sin is not the sort of thing that I can just dip my toe in and then pull it out when I'm through with sin and unaffected. Sin is consistently presented in Scripture as a burden, and it is a burden I can't take off of myself. Yeah, you know, we all know the gas prices are off the charts now. I can see this person sitting down at the kitchen table, stack of bills. There's more bills and there's money. Or here's a housewife, and she has all these little kids in the home, and she's just tired of all these little kids, all the fights and fusses. Here's a guy at work, and his boss keeps stacking up work. There's a lot of layers to burdens. But I, but I think you're touching on something special when we think about the burden of sin. Yeah. That's something that's been carried among people, the guilt, the shame. It doesn't go away. And as a person ages, they realize death is getting closer. What's going to happen? You know, I've, I, I'm not right with God, or I don't know God. And that is a burden uh, that's that's weary, wears you down, and becomes heavy. It's like it's like a big old rock placed upon you. And you just can't get out from that rock. And that's I think the impression that Jesus is really wanting us to get there. Why were they that way? A lot of times it's because of our choices. Uh, we put ourselves there, and now we got ourselves in this corner and we can't get out. So that's why his invitation is so appealing. Come to me, he says. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And the reason is he offers something that you cannot find anywhere else. I mean, you can take a vacation and you have a table full of those bills and you come home and those tables still full of those bills. <laughs> you got more bills probably. Uh, you take a vacation from work, you come back and guess what? You usually got more work to do because you've been gone a week. So there's a lot of burdens. We may get a temporary relief, but they're never taken away. Jesus can take it away. And so that is what's so impressive. And so to those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now, what does that mean? Well, it is tied specifically to rest for your souls, right? And so it is not that if I begin to follow Jesus, I'll never get another electric bill in my mailbox. That's that's not the sort of rest that we're talking about. And it's it's not that, okay, I will always wake up completely refreshed. I will have eight hours of the most peaceful sleep imaginable every night. It's not that. And I think accurately you've, you've brought out that, okay, I can... I can put a band-aid on some of these things for a little while, but they're, they're still going to be there when I come home. Maybe I don't have out of control bills. Maybe my body is in perfect working order. I've got perfect blood pressure, perfect blood sugar, all of those things. But we all know that a soul can be in turmoil at the same time. I mean, we have examples all around us in contemporary culture of people who have more than they could possibly spend. Multiple houses, multiple cars, fame, fortune, all of these things, but souls that are in turmoil. And so what Jesus is 
offering, freely extending is for those who realize what the greatest need is. And I think there's there's the disconnect a lot of times in the Gospels. We've got Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes who had convinced themselves the greatest need was to keep what they have, to, to uh, take more of Jerusalem from the Romans, to eventually beat away these foreign armies. That wasn't their greatest need. The greatest need they had was sin-sick souls. And the answer had come for those who recognized their desperate need, their, their absolute unworthiness. What Jesus offers is rest for the soul. And I think, I think we would just commonly call that salvation. I, th- I think that's what Jesus is driving at there. You know, sometimes when we think of rest, we think of just sitting there doing nothing. You know, the maybe your wife's been out doing shopping or something, and you come home, and you're just sitting in the chair, TV's not on, you're just sitting there. And she says, what are you doing? You say, nothing. <laughs> I'm just doing nothing. And that that can be kind of a utopia concept we have of rest. I'm going to have nothing bothering me. I'm going to have nothing to do. I'm just going to sit there and rest. The image of a hammock and a hot summer day, and you're just laying in that hammock, and that's that's rest. Well, that, that, that's not what Jesus is driving no. at here. He's not talking about rest for the body. He's talking about rest for the mind and the soul, and that's found in Jesus. It's a type of peace. Yeah. It's it's a type of uh, assurance. It's a type of comfort we have. Here's a person that has been struggling through life, and their life is miserable because of the miserable choices they've made. They come to Jesus, and they find rest. They find peace. They find direction and purpose, and all that just shows them you know, I, I've got a life to live. God wants me to do things. And so it's not like I go to spiritual retirement here. It's the idea that these things that have been tying me down and, and struggling with, they're not anymore because I got rest in Jesus Christ. It's what Paul would describe as joy in the Lord, right? I I once was haunted by alienation from God, my past, the the repercussions of my own actions, but now I have found that hope and joy, peace. I I, I know that I am his and he is mine. And, you know, there's a revelation passage that talks about those who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. Yeah. Now that I've heard a guy one time say, talk about this and he said, you know, I'm, I'm working 60 hours a week and I'm going to run. No, and I, it's not how many hours you put in your job. <laughs> I, I think from there, the labors were spiritual endeavors, spiritual work. And there's going to be a rest that comes. That image of Psalms 23, he makes the sheep to lie down in green pastures. There's a sense of comfort in God. I don't have to figure everything out. God does. He has it. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. God has it. And so what happens is some of these things that have been tying us down and keeping our sleep from where it is, we just give it to God. I don't have to worry about it because God has it and God's in control. Now, from that, in this passage in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me. That's a call to that audience. Then he tells them to, to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's let's kind of reverse this for a moment. Let's talk about what do we learn from Jesus. Yeah, 
Yeah. So just before this, in Matthew 11, is where Jesus addresses several of the cities there in the region of Galilee who had seen the miracles that were pointing as signs to, you need to listen to the miracle worker, right? The point consistently of these healings and uh, casting out demons and all of these various miraculous works was not just to put on a sideshow on the hills of Galilee. They were signs that validated This is someone you need to listen to and learn from. And so if we put ourselves back in those early chapters of Matthew, well, it's Jesus teaching about the coming of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, The arrival of the long-awaited king, the call to repent because this kingdom was at hand, to seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and uh, allow the other concerns of life to be uh, put in the back seat in comparison to those things. It, it is a call to follow Jesus, to take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him, listen to what he commands. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount concerning marriage and divorce and the use of the things that we have, how we treat other people, uh, the motivations for our good actions. It's all revolving around, listen, number one, you need to learn from me. You need to notice my heart and you need to begin imitating my heart, that you would reflect my light into the world. And, and that's a great expression right there, because uh, to, to learn, you've got to have the attitude and the atmosphere to want to learn. Yeah. You know, a kid who goes up to class and doesn't bring a pencil, doesn't bring a notebook, does not going to take a note, he just sits there and just going to stare at the wall and daydream, <laughs> he's not going to learn much. You've got to have a spirit in what you want to learn. And so the spirit begins by understanding who the Lord is. He is God on earth. He does everything perfectly without sin. And so Jesus knew who he was. And so there'd be people who wouldn't like him, but that didn't change who Jesus was. There'll be people who won't like you, but that doesn't change who you are. Jesus knew the Father. We have to know our spiritual Father, and we have to know what God expects of us. And so as we start peeling the layers off of Jesus, we learn. We learn how to deal with those who are not very kind. We learn how to help the helpless. We learn to be humble. We learn to walk as the Lord wants us to walk. And those are lessons we learn from Jesus. And the more we look to him, the more we follow him, and the closer we are, the better those things will be for us. Now, the front part of that statement was about yolk, and we're not talking about egg yolks here. We're, <laughs> we're talking about that big old wooden thing you put on a couple of oxen, right. and it really served two purposes. One, one was direction. You know, you could, you could pull the reins and turn that ox this way or that way, but more than anything else, it was to be hooked to a wagon or a cart, and they could load up all kinds of stuff in that, and those two oxen would pull that along. Right. So Jesus has a yoke. Take my yoke, he says. Well, what's that? Yeah, so it was a a familiar farm instrument that these people would be uh, very much acquainted with. You think of a big crossbar with two holes where two uh, oxen would put their heads through those holes and then be able to be turned or motivated, kept 
in line, right? And and I think you used the, the, the perfect term a moment ago, that with the reins they could be turned. Why does Jesus say what he says a few verses before our key text about the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum? Well, it's because they did not repent. They did not Turn. And so what I think ultimately he is calling all of his disciples or even those who are weary and heavy laden to do, come submit yourself to my direction, turn from sin. Uh, allow me to teach you how serious sin is. Recognize who I am, that I, in me is the cure for sin. In me is that hope and joy and peace we were talking about earlier. And ultimately, from this point forward, allow me to determine the direction. Allow me to set the pace. You follow my lead. That's that's the essence of discipleship. Absolutely. And, you know, again, it, it destroys this idea that people have that when I think about rest in Jesus, he's just going to leave me alone. Do what I, <laughs> Let me do whatever I want to do. No. And I can just do what I want to do because I found freedom and rest. And no, that's, that's, that's just a, a pretty picture of sin. That's all that is. And that's lawlessness. And that's not pleasing God whatsoever. And so you're going to be directed by the Lord. And the Lord is the one who holds the reins. And the Lord's the one who's turning you. And there was a famous book years ago called God is My Co-Pilot. That's a sorry, that's a sorry title. Because if God is the co-pilot, who's the pilot? Yeah. Either you are or <laughs> Satan is, you know? And the pilot's the one who's in charge. So God has to be your pilot. God has to be the one that's in charge. And, and that's essential. Interesting, twice in this section, the word rest is used. Twice the word yoke is used. Mm-hmm. At the last verse, my yoke is easy, he says. My burden is light. Now, that, that last expression, that's a mystery for a lot of people because they thought coming to Christ, it's going to be a cakewalk. There's not going to be any burdens. Every day is going to be sunny. I'll never have problems. But Jesus says there is a burden and it's going to be light. It is. Yes. First John 5 verse 3 really helps me wrap my mind around what he is talking about. John, who would have heard this with his own ears, walked with Jesus for about three years says to disciples, you need to understand, if you love God and you keep his commandments, his commandments are not burdensome. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. What helps me is to think in comparison to the burdens I was bearing the burden of sin, the burden of self-centeredness, the burden of life without God, life without hope, life without peace. Those are very serious, heavy burdens. If I allow Jesus to take the lead and remove those burdens, if I set aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, according to Hebrews 12, and I take on, in a sense, the life preserver of Christ, in comparison, what I am bearing is light, and it is ultimately leading to life. And I like that, you know, that connection to that yoke again, because 
you know, w- without Christ, here we are. We're a couple of oxen pulling this cart full of rocks, <laughs> and no one's back there with the reins. There, there's no one there, and and you don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going, and we're just walking down this road. We're we're, we're weary. We don't know when we're supposed to stop. We have no clue what we're doing. But when we have Jesus back there, he's leading us where we're supposed to go. We know exactly what's supposed to happen, and that burden becomes a light burden. And that's just a wonderful, wonderful passage. We encourage you to uh, listen to that sermon. It's a sermon that would help all of us. It's on our podcast, or it's on our website, and uh, you can watch it or listen to it and share it with others. It would be very helpful if you would do those things. Appreciate you walking through that. Of course, it is Wednesday. Uh, Hopefully, we've given you a little bit to think about wherever you are today, but we would love to have you join us for Bible class this evening. Roger, you're going to be teaching in the auditorium. We are studying the theme is the teacher Jesus, looking at how the Lord taught, and we're going to go through some uh, difficult passages where we call it teaching in trouble, when people try to challenge Jesus. We're going to look at some of those things. In our B2 class, our building blocks track of studies for a variety of ages, we're exploring who is God, particularly through the lens of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so tonight, we're just going to talk about God the Father. Who is that? What does he want? How can we relate to him? We would love to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. But, Roger, we've also got a very exciting weekend ahead. We do. We want to invite all of our listeners, if you can come, to be with us Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We've invited a very special friend of ours, Kevin Clark, to come and preach for us. Kevin's just a wonderful gospel preacher, a wonderful way of presenting God's Word in a simplistic manner. He'll be with us Friday evening at 7 o'clock, and then on Saturday at 6 o'clock, we're going to spend several moments singing. And singing is a valuable part of our fellowship and our praise and worship of God. And then we will have Kevin back at 7 to preach again in our normal times on Sunday. Friday at 7 o'clock, Saturday singing at 6 o'clock, sermon at 7 o'clock, regular times on Sunday. Kevin will be with us at 9.30, 5 o'clock p.m. It's going to be a really encouraging weekend. It's staying lighter in the evenings. It will be a good shot in the arm for all of us, and we're really looking forward to it. And if you can't join us in person, this will be live streamed. They'll also be on our website later on, so we would encourage you to grab these. The lessons will be things that will help you. We guarantee you those things. Roger, thanks for joining me today, and thanks for all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you tonight. We would especially love to see you this weekend. We're looking forward to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us. 